going to be reading two scriptures this evening, uh, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Uh, the Old Testament, some words from the prophet Ezekiel, that is in chapter 36, and I'm going to be starting at verse 22. Um, you want to find that in your Bibles. Um, the key verse in there where it talks about God giving us a new heart, taking from us our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Um, that idea of what is this new heart that God gives us. And along the similar line, the second scripture we're going to read is John chapter 3. This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And something in many ways that is parallel um, to what the prophet Ezekiel is saying, Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus that if anyone would see the kingdom of heaven, they must be born from above. And what is that new birth from above? Those are the things we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, before we read, let's pray. Lord, again, we ask that you would send your spirit upon your people to call us to a deeper uh, love for you, a deeper appreciation of your grace, and a deeper worship through our living as well as through our, our words and our songs. May everything we do turn, turn back to you at praise for all that you have first done for us. And so write these truths in our hearts by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which is profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's a great covenant statement. I will be your people and you will be my God. That is the Old Testament, and turning over to John chapter 3, and verses 1 through 15, especially verse 3 we're paying attention to. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Verily, verily, I say to you, 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And this is God's word. My message with you this evening is a little bit more doctrinal. And what I mean by that is we're going to dig into some theology and some of it, I will apologize, is a little bit deep. And we'll, we'll go through this as best we can. If time allows, I'll even uh, provide an opportunity for some questions and discussions. We have a little bit of a smaller group here tonight, so there may be a chance for some interaction. If you want to push back, uh, wonder with me about what the scriptures are saying, any of those kinds of things. But just to give you a sense of some of the tensions that we are, we are leaning into. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians... He talks about the amazing grace of God, which was active in our lives before the world even began. He says, for example, for he, meaning God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we have there in Ephesians a verse that speaks very powerfully about the action of God changing and transforming our lives. But in the Bible, we also have a large number of other passages that speak to us as if it is up to us to change our lives. And I think the clearest and most powerful of this is the message Jesus himself came when he started his ministry around Galilee and, and that whole area in the north of, of um, God's land at that time. And he says to everyone, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Same message John the Baptist preached, same message Jesus gave to the disciples when he sent them out two by two. Whatever town you go to, preach this message, repent. It is a call, it is a command for us to make choices that change our lives. And then in between, we have other passages where it seems like both God and us are active in this process of changing our lives. Now, for example, Paul writes in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our action. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. 
Okay, so that's, there's a partnership. Or even another one, I, I press on, Paul writes, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So our action and God's action together. Um, we are not going to be able to untangle all of this tonight um, because we are dealing with mysteries, but we're going to press into the mysteries a little bit. Um, we'll look at some uh, part of the Canons of Dort that talks about this a little bit. Um, but if we had to narrow down one question we're going to be, or one word we're going to be focusing on tonight, it is the word regeneration. It's a doctrinal term, but you can think of it in terms of the scriptures we read of what Ezekiel is talking about in terms of a new heart. What does it mean that we are given a new living heart to replace our cold heart of stone? Or if you want to think of it in terms of the words of Jesus, what does he mean when he says we have to be born from above? Both of those, the new heart from Ezekiel, the born from above from Jesus, both talk about this mystery of regeneration, being born again. Um, What is it? What does that mean? And when does that happen in the life of a Christian, in our journey uh, from cradle to grave? When does regeneration happen? Now, I believe that um, the heart of being reformed, the reason I'm reformed, I didn't grow up in the reformed tradition, I saw the light, at some point in my adult life, and she was blonde and had blue eyes, was very pretty. Um, but I've come to appreciate the wisdom of the Reformed tradition, um, partly because it fits so much with my reading of Scripture. But the heart of being Reformed are things every Christian should agree with. As Reformed people, we believe the Bible's the Word of God. As Reformed people, we believe that Jesus died on the cross to take our place, to atone and to provide um, a sacrifice in our place for our sins. As Reformed people, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit to change human lives with power. These are things every Christian everywhere should believe, and we as Reformed people put a special emphasis on them, in my opinion. But tonight we will touch on a, a couple of things that are more distinctively Reformed, and that maybe not every Christian everywhere agrees with in quite the same way we do, but we'll they go into many ways. What do we believe? We believe in the sovereignty of God, that his choice in decision-making is greater than our choices in decision-making. Now, we're going to lean into the confessions a little bit, again, the canons of Dort, um, but also this idea of grace. And beyond grace, electing grace, choosing grace that God has for us um, and how that all works. So that's a little bit of where we're going this evening. First, I want to introduce you to a Dutchman. And his name, last name was Hermanzug. But back at the time when he lived, a couple hundred years ago, um, when you were a theologian, no matter what your name was, they thought it needed to be Latin. So they gave Mr. Hermanzug a Latin name, and he was Jacob Arminius instead of Jacob Hermanzug. And he was a Dutch theologian a couple hundred years ago. And he, um, he bumped up against some of the things that were being taught in the Dutch Reformed churches of his day. Um, and he had a, a way of understanding God's grace and our choices and how all this fit together. So I'm going to introduce uh, Jacob Hermanzug's theology. And I want to do so with this introduction. This is not the final position where the Christian Reformed Church is settled. In other words, this is not the teaching of our denomination. This is what we have rejected in the Canons of Dort. But Mr. Hermanzug would say the path to salvation goes like this. As a sinner, 
God provides an opportunity for us to hear the preaching of his word. Someone comes to us and explains to us the gospel, our sin, Jesus' place on the cross. And in the hearing of the gospel, there is a call from God himself that we hear. God is calling us through the preaching of his gospel to change our lives. And that call can either be accepted or rejected. As a human, I can submit to that call of God in the preaching of the gospel, or I can choose to harden my heart and reject it. If I choose to submit to the call of God as I understand it, I put my faith in the gospel I repent of my sins and choose God and his righteousness instead. And then because I have made this choice to believe in God, something purely of grace, something purely supernatural happens in my life and I am born again. I am regenerated. I, am, I become alive. I become a new creation, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. This new life I am given in response to my faith in God is accompanied by things like justification, being given the righteousness of Christ. It has to do with forgiveness, the washing away of all my sins. And then now that I am converted, I strive to live a Christian life. But again, this depends on my human effort. Every day there's this danger that I could turn away or I could turn towards God, so there is a pressure on me as a Christian that I need to continually be confessing, continually turning to God. So the hope is that I will persevere in my faith. I will stick with it until the day when Christ returns or calls me home, and then in my death I receive the glorification and the gift of heaven and everlasting life. So that is the Arminian viewpoint on salvation and grace is powerful here i can't deal with my sin i need christ on the cross it needs grace i can't change my life i can't make myself spiritually alive all of that depends on grace so there's a lot of grace in this system but the choosing in this story of our that arminius lays out is my choosing god He chooses me in response to my choosing him. And if you even want to get a little more complicated, God saw in future time that I would believe in past time, so before even that past time, he chose me because he knew I would choose him later. You know, it gets complicated, but that's how they understand election. But the key thing about this Arminian theology, Jacob Hermanzuk, is that it requires human decision-making. At the critical moment of salvation, I need to choose to respond to the call of the gospel, and then in my sanctification or my perseverance, I need to choose every day to continue to walk with him. Now, I want to contrast that story of salvation um, with what it is we do believe in the Christian Reformed traditions and the teachings of the canons of Dort. So this is another version a version that was articulated um, by the Dutch theologians who rejected Arminius. And this is, I hope, a fair representation of what it is that we believe in our Christian Reformed tradition today. Before there was time or creation, God knew you 
God chose in his grace to love you, even though there was nothing deserving in you. And he made a, he made a choice that you would be his child. In the course of due time, because of his choosing, he provided for you to hear the gospel. Whether this was being raised in a covenant home or interaction with other believers, um, you heard someone tell you about Jesus. And in that outward call of the gospel, there was again an inward call that you knew that God was calling you. But before you made any response to that call of the gospel, God gave you a free gift of his Holy Spirit, which is regeneration or new birth or a new heart. But God made you alive before you believed. And then in response to this remaking of your will, this new heart, this heart of flesh, as Ezekiel says it, finally has the ability to respond to the gospel. Without this work of grace, of God making us new, we could not respond to the gospel. But with the new heart that is given to us in the hearing of the gospel, we are able to say, yes, I believe that, I need that, I choose that. So our, our, re, our new heart, our being born from above, we respond with faith and repentance. And it's not artificial. This is our faith and our repentance. But again, it is only possible through the grace of God which precedes it. And then in response to this faith and repentance, the same things happen, justification, forgiveness, and all that. But then there is an added ongoing grace the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the believer every day, which is like that parable of the lost sheep, that no matter how far we try to get away from God, every time he brings us back. He knows which sheep are his, he returns them to the fold, he protects them. So it is not so much that we persevere and holding on to God throughout our Christian lives as much as God's hand won't let us go even when we try to get away. So we continue in a journey of sanctification that is entirely a work of grace until finally Christ returns or calls us home and then we receive glorification and the gift of everlasting life. So election in this model is God choosing of his good pleasure to claim us as his own even before the world began. The key moment of grace in this model is the grace that remakes our will so that we are able to respond in faith and in in repentance to the gospel. And there is human effort. This idea where the command comes to us, repent, or I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. All of this is true, but all of it is only possible because of the grace of God that has first remade my heart, my will, so that I am able to choose God. It's not, I'm some, God is not some puppet puppet master, and I'm some puppet that no longer is making choices. It's, I am making choices. But the choices I am making come out of a heart that has been born from above, or born again by the Spirit of God. So the key difference, just to summarize, between the Arminian model and the Reform model is this. Is faith the last thing we do before God saves us? 
Or is faith the first thing we do after God saves us? And in the Reformed tradition, faith is our first response of gratitude and worship and service to God after he saves us by grace and grace alone. I want to look at some language with you on this. And so I invite you to grab a grace psalter hymnal that is nearby and open up to the back. And the copy I have, hopefully the same one as yours, it's page 938, and we're going to read over to 939 as well. If um, you actually want to look at 937, you'll see the heading there. That in the Canons of Dort, we're in the third and fourth main points of doctrine. The italics, human corruption, conversion to God, and the way it occurs. The bottom of 938 has articles 11, and right over in 939 is article 12. And I just want to read um, these two articles with you. Um, If you want, um, photocopy this. Get someone in the church office to run it off for you and continue to read it throughout the week and say, does that make sense to me? Is that what I believe? Bug Pastor Dirk, bug your elders, and said, hey, Adam came here and gave us some homework, and he said, I needed to talk to you about the canons of Dort. Are you ready? And he'll love me. He'll love it. Trust me. Okay. Article 11, the Holy Spirit's work in conversion. Moreover, when God carries out this good pleasure in his chosen ones, or works true conversion in them, he not only sees to it that the gospel is proclaimed to them outwardly, and enlightens their mind powerfully by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God, but by the effective operation of the same regenerating Spirit, he also penetrates into the inmost being of man. He unlocks the closed heart, softens the hard heart, circumcises the heart that is uncircumcised, He infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead will alive, the evil one good, and the unwilling one willing, and the stubborn one compliant. He activates and strengthens the will like a good tree. It may be enabled to produce the good fruit of human deeds. And Article 12, Regeneration, a Supernatural Work. And this is the regeneration. Remember that was said, that was our main point. What is regeneration? What does it mean to be born from above? What is the new heart, Ezekiel promised? This is the answer of the canons of Dort. This is the regeneration, the new creation, the raising of the dead, the making alive so clearly proclaimed in the scriptures, which God works in us without our help. But this certainly does not happen only by outward teaching, by moral persuasion, or by such a way of working that after God has done his work, it remains in man's power whether to be reborn or converted. Rather, it is an entirely supernatural work, one that is at the same time most powerful and most pleasing, a marvelous, hidden, and inexpressible work, which is not lesser than or inferior in power to that of creation or of raising of the dead." as Scripture, inspired by the author of this work, teaches. As a result, all those in whose, God's, in whose hearts God works in this marvelous way are certainly unfailingly and effectively reborn and do actually believe. And then the will now renewed is not only activated and motivated by God, but is also activated by God, but in being activated by God is also itself active. 
For this reason, man himself, by that grace which he has received, is also rightly said to believe and to repent. So there, there's your daily dose of the canons of Dort. What difference does this make? God the world so loved. It's the next thing that comes after we read in John 3, verses 1 through 15. God the world so loved. It's an understanding grace that works in this way, making us born from above, that we can understand God and what it means of His holiness, His purity, His compassion, His mercy, and His love. We understand God more better because of this, this theology. But the world... We understand the world and its brokenness more powerfully because we understand that humans are unable to do anything that moves us closer to God or is pleasing to Him or accomplishes anything of spiritual value. In the fall, we are totally unable to turn Godward. If sin is missing the mark, it's an archery term, the Greek word, then we are unable to even point our bow and arrow in the right direction, let alone actually hit the target. To think of this another way, imagine that you had a compass, and it was the only way of your finding your way to where you need to be, but all around your compass are magnets that are moving all the time. So your compass arrow is never pointing to true north. Regeneration has taken all those magnets away, so that your compass finally points in the right direction again so you can see the way you need to go. And then so loved, we understand what it, what it means that God loves sinners and chooses to save us. So the response to this, appreciating God, the world, and his, his sacrifice, we also give him praise and thanks for grace. All we have to contribute to this amazing story of salvation is our response of praise and worship and gratitude. That's what we we give, is he loved us, so we love him back. He saved us, we live a new life. He comes close to us, so we pray to him and delight in his presence. It's all we have is worship and thanks and praise. But understanding that we have been given a new heart and a new will We cultivate our desires, our longing for the kingdom. We cultivate our desires, our longing for God's presence. We cultivate our desires for the righteousness in our community and our families. We cultivate desires for heaven. And all of these find their fruition no place more powerfully than prayer. We pray like people who are able to finally want the right things and want them with all our heart and mean it. And if you want an action in terms of what do I do in terms of application, um, you can look in John 3, the last few verses, where it talks about coming into the light versus staying in the darkness and all that. But I think I want to turn to Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we've done a lot of talking tonight about God's mercy for sinners, choosing to save them, make them alive. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies to him as living sacrifices, holy, dearly loved. For this is your true and spiritual worship. Do not conform 
any longer to the mold, the shape, the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Let's close. Lord God, we confess that in our pride, we want to do something to get saved. But Lord, we confess that in our sin in the fall, we are unable. And everything of everlasting value and beauty in us is only the fruit of your grace and goodness. So we give you the praise and the thanks that you have adopted us as your sons and daughters, made us children of the Most High God. You've taken every barrier out of the way for us to enjoy and delight in your presence. So enable us, by the continuing grace of your Holy Spirit, to do just that. To delight in the new life. To delight in your presence each and every day. Amen. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known. But let's stand and sing. 495 in the Psalter.
going to give the parting blessing, and afterwards I'm going to stick around a few minutes up to the front. I promised you a chance to interact if you wanted um, some questions or conversation about this, and then I preached longer than I was expecting to preach, so that's on me. I'm going to let everyone who's done hearing about all this stuff, let them go and be free, um, but if you want to ask any questions or have any interaction, I'll stick around up here for just a few minutes, and then once nobody comes or somebody does come, then I'll, I'll make my way out as well. But receive now his parting blessing. People of God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace.